0: These are originals.
1: This is Defending in Numbers.
0: Welcome to Defending in Numbers, the podcast where we walk through the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong and helping me pretend today is the most electrifying man <laughs> in all of football statistics, George Alec? how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm good. Are going to get that every week? Absolutely. I'm good. We uh, and then something a little bit more easy to rhyme, a man flexing his <laughs> statissima dorsi muscles. <laughs> it's Dave O'Brien. Dave, how are you in your stats this morning?
1: Yeah, they're, they're good. They're, they're ready to, to go. They're ready to escape.
0: It's uh, it's good that you're both so energised, because mm. just for the listeners out there, we are recording this at seven o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> I think this is, this is a wild time to be talking about football statistics. This is this how you start every day, Dave? Uh, usually, yeah.
1: I usually you know, wake up, have a, a shot of espresso, then look into the mirror and chant stats at myself. So
0: <laughs> I'm just going to be doing that today, really. What's your favourite morning stat, George?
1: No, it's kind of a natural
2: progression because you normally dream about stats then you kind of wake <laughs> up and you go straight into it. So I'm, I'm ready to go. Do you
0: live, live by the stat, die by the stat? We have to, yeah.
2: Otherwise, what are we doing here?
0: <laughs> it gives you meaning. It, whatever gives you purpose, lads. That's what I'm saying. And what's going to give me purpose this week is numbers. Oh yeah, the week by numbers. That's right. That informative jingle tells you that we're going to go into week by numbers. Dave, George, I'm going to say a number. Oh yeah, and then I'm going to tell you something about it, and then you're going to give me some brief thoughts on the matter. Ready for some numbers? Yeah. Got. Are, re- <laughs> are you really ready for some numbers? Yeah, you tell me. I you tell me. You live by the stat. Die yeah, I'm waiting. I'm here. I'm, yeah, I'm we, not we, a statistician, we, you know. I'm about to throw a number out there. This is big for uh-oh. me. All right. And talking of big numbers, five. <laughs> <laughs> That's how many passes John Joe Shelby completed before getting sent off for stepping on Delhi Alley. What a legend. Stepping on the more talented version of himself. What do you reckon, John Joe Shelby? Is he going to be able to cut at Premier League level or is he always going to be Newcastle? He's always going to be the sort of nearly man never gonna be the Delhi Ali that he wants to be.
1: I think that'll be it. You know, you got lucky. To do the sh- decision making it was absolutely atrocious. Like to make that move and to to sort of be, you know, taunted and brought in to to step on someone is it's just a bit embarrassing for someone that's supposed to be leading your team and and, and being the playmaker, being the guy that's going to be moving the ball around. And you saw as soon as he got sent off, it was game over. Tottenham Hotspur just took control and um you know absolutely annihilated Newcastle. I think it's one of these things where if John Joe Shelby wants to be a Premier League player and a successful one at that decisions like that need to be completely eradicated. You know, you, can't, you can and you can't defend what Deli Alley did, but you just, John Joe Shelby is just an absolute no-no. And I think Newcastle may struggle this season. I don't think they've made any signings that have been, for me, yeah, these guys are going to stay up. You're thinking White Gale's still their number nine, Matt Ritchie's still on the wing. They bought Atsu from Chelsea, who's pretty bang average. And that performance against Tottenham showed that could be a bit of a dangerous season for them.
2: I I do think that, that number five is, is important because it shows I mean Shelby someone who's who's you know his ball playing ability is, is his key strength. And the fact that he only competed five passes actually shows what Newcastle were doing in that game. And I think until the red cards, they'd done a good job of basically just just stymieing you know any threat that uh, that Spurs had they sat very deep, they just tried to frustrate them. They didn't really I mean they were looking they were playing for a nil nil draw basically, and I think the, the game plan was mainly working until Shelby just had that moment of madness and and, and trodden alley. And I don't you know you said that you can't really defend Deli Alley. You know, I think it's just Newcastle's fault. They obviously sent out yeah. there to wind up the bloke, and, and they just went <laughs> went one step too far, <laughs> and uh, and, god, and that stop was that. It.
0: Oh god! <laughs> End the podcast, Dave. How much would it take to uh, provoke you into stepping on someone? Um, yeah, a, just a bit. It. You know, if anyone was <laughs> that, that was it. Yeah.
1: If anyone bad was discriminating me with stats or yeah or bad puns, and I'd have to just <laughs> get the boot out and put it in. What what minute was it? He
0: got sent off it. 47th. 47th. And mm. he only done five passes.
1: Not great. Hopeless It's hopeless But again Tottenham will Dominated the ball um, You know out of the back They're absolutely excellent Vertonghen is just one of the best Ball playing centre-halves in the world And then you've got Adewireld Next to him You know it's a great platform So you expect Tottenham To dominate possession But at the same time Five passes 47
0: minutes That's atrocious Yeah I'm I'm embarrassed for him (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I'm sure he'll hear this And he'll be like Yeah that guy's right (laughs) He knows about football Next number (gasps) 24 No way magic number Unless you're Cristiano Ronaldo, who was only on the pitch for 24 minutes in the Super Cup the other day. Uh, coming off the bench, scored like was what was an absolute cracker of a goal. Essentially won the game. Then, by all accounts, was a topless man on TV for a while. And, uh, and then shoved a referee after getting sent off for diving, which wasn't really a dive. Well, do you think it was a dive? I don't. I think it's fairly unanimous it wasn't, right?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a dive, but at the same time, you can't be pushing a referee full stop. Remember oh, the, well, you're such a nerd. <laughs> it's one of these things where it's like the sports jock bullying someone, which is just <laughs> not what we want in our, um, you know, in football or in our culture. It's just an interesting one. It reminds me of the Wayne Rooney situation where he clapped at a official in the Champions League against Villarreal and got sent off and got a similar like two to three game ban. But again, Ronaldo shouldn't be doing that type of thing. He's supposed to be um, the man at Real Madrid. He's supposed to be an icon and, uh, you know, him his impact on young people, you can't be showing that type of level of I don't know, stupidity in a way, and, and being banned for five games, yeah, you'll miss some pretty big games there. And as well, if you've you may you two may have seen around Reddit there's this um rumour that's going around that Ronaldo will be moving to Monaco. Huh. I'm
2: sure I'm sure, sure enjoy the lifestyle I'd have thought. But yeah. um and, and maybe the other part There's tax free over there, yeah. isn't <laughs> <it? Yeah. laughs> Um but uh, yeah, I think it's it's a sign, you know, twenty-four minutes on the pitch. If we didn't already know already, it's just a sign that Ronaldo thinks he can just get away with whatever he wants. We've seen it with great players before. We saw it with Zidane in that in that World Cup final in his last game. We saw it when Paulo uh, Paolo De Cano pushed over Paul Alcock when playing for Sheffield Wednesday all those exactly. years ago. It's just <laughs> these guys who just have that mentality where they think they're thinking this is my stage, I can do what I want, and if you're not gonna let me play, I'm gonna push you over. Fair enough.
0: UEFA Lona. What do we think, lads? <laughs>
1: not after the Neymar stuff, right? You well, would have would have blocked that if if they were UEFA Lona.
0: See seems to me but, like the money from uh... Money from Neymar's gone straight into that geezer's pocket. Yeah. He's only holding him down when Ronaldo <laughs> pushed him, otherwise he would have fallen over like Paul but,
2: but, but, Would he have got a longer ban maybe if, if he'd been sent off for actually
1: pushing him?
0: Probably. It was only four games, wasn't it? Four games four was a minimum. It could have gone up to eight. Wasn't bit, So he actually did all right. It's, it's yeah. one
2: for the sending off then four for the push. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if he'd pushed him over and been sent off for that if he'd have got more. Yeah. Maybe. But that, that one, yeah.
0: the one he got, can't you, in Spain, you can appeal a yellow can't you? Can't you, yeah. If you get sent off for it? Yeah. So I, he'll surely.
2: I don't. I don't think I'll get off him for taking his shirt off. Claim he didn't do it. And... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Prove it. Yeah. I was topless on national television. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it will only be really. I think he was given the five-game ban, so it realistically, it will only be four mm-hmm. because it will get the other one overturned.
1: Still, it's a bit. It's a big impact. And then the... one in
0: the Super Cup, which is kind of like a glorified friendly. So it's really, it's a free game ban.
1: Yeah, I think. It, I think it, with it was worth it. Yeah, it was kind of worth it in a way. Well, I think for Zinedine Zidane, what we've seen from Gareth Bale in pre-season, then you've got the likes of Asensio coming through the ranks. Ronaldo, yes, he's, he's a player that scores a hell of a lot of goals and carried them in the Champions League, but they're kind of like, for these four games, they've got players that can come in and replace him. That's what Zinedine Zidane's built at Real, this perfect squad. I love how Ronaldo's sort of moved to be more of a central striker. You know, think about the the system Real were playing in four four two 4 Central am I right? Am exactly. I right? That's what I was going to say, the central striker. <laughs> but coming in, um, you know, with strength Ronaldo, it's, you know, staying high up, counter-attacking, and we saw that for the goal, coming into that stronger right foot. Simpler than anything, Gerard Pique had an absolute stinker, scored an own goal and then pretty much let Ronaldo score that goal. You know you know what Ronaldo's going to do from that angle coming into that right foot. It's, it's classic Ronaldo. So, I think for Real Madrid, again, it puts them a massive advantage over Barcelona given that Neymar's gone, given that they're. Still searching for this Andres Iniesta, not replacement, but a guy that just, can just play more minutes than him. Because of obviously Iniesta's so injury Not John Joe Shelby then, no. Not John Joe Shelby because oh. he only completes five passes in forty-seven mm. minutes. That
0: wouldn't work at Barca. You get sacked straight yeah. away. Sorry, Shelby, you're out. Uh, Dave, yes. You like the number I, I, thirty-one? I do like it actually. Nemanja Matić's number at Manchester United. <laughs> Forget about him. Well, who's that guy? Right? What's he ever going to do? He'll never <laughs> make it in a Premier League. Not when he comes across <laughs> tough opposition on the opening day, in which 31 goals were scored, opening weekend even, but four of them scored against West Ham. You're not even, for God's sake. And 30% of them scored by Burnley, Huddersfield and Watford. Are they going to be really good? Or is it just that thing where opening day of the season or opening weekend of the season, and there are just a few surprises, people underestimate, people wouldn't. And all of a sudden you get crazy results.
2: I think, yeah, people do underestimate these teams. Certainly Watford are a team who I think have been grossly underestimated throughout the summer. Their their business has been very shrewd. And Marco Silva, they've definitely got one of the most talented and uh, promising coaches in Europe, in my opinion. I think he proved that last season. Having a manager whose home record has been so good across his career is no fluke. Um, They'll be very, very good at Vicarage Road this season. And uh, to be honest, they were unlucky, probably unlucky not to to go out of sight early on against Liverpool. Mm. Um, And then... Burnley are playing against Chelsea, probably the best time to play them. They're kind of in disarray at the moment, I'd say, Chelsea. Um, after their after their summer, having won the Premier League, they're not the team they were at the back end of the last season. Yeah, what was
0: their bench? Two well, they two people in it, by the age of
2: nine. They don't have any players. Now they're have got. they going to have Fabregas and, and Cahill suspended. Cahill for three games, Fabregas for one. It's not ideal for them at all. And in Huddersfield, they, they went away to a really, really poor Palace team, really. And, and they've got to be question marks over De Boer's managerial ability. Obviously, at, uh, at Ajax, he was very, very good. But since then, he only lasted till November or October. I think it might have been at Inter. Um, and he's kind of, yeah, up against the wall straight away now at Palace. So whilst on paper, they're, they're not the three most glamorous teams in the Premier League, it's maybe not that surprising when you look a bit deeper that they've done well.
0: I, f- I feel like with Huddersfield, it's one of those things where you get a team and it's their first time in the league. Often, people just don't really know what to expect from them. They're- they can almost ride on it for the first half of the season. You think back to like Blackpool, was it? Yeah. yeah. Did something very similar and I'm, I'm sure there's other cases where a team is almost safe or is on 33 points by January or something like that when, they, when they're completely new to the league. Mm. Is that going to be case with Huddersfield? Are people going to work them out or is, is Wagner the boy?
1: I th- I'm, I it's going to be a really interesting one. I think this is one of the most fascinating ones in the Premier League because I expected Huddersfield to shock a lot of teams early doors, like you mentioned. I think they will go on a run, but again, defensively, I don't think they're going to be good enough when push comes to shove, when teams work out, let's play these guys on the break. Let's go long against them, let's counter-attack against them. I think that's the big thing with Palace. Stylistically, it fell into Wagner's hands in a way. You know, the ball wants to play out the back from a team that last season played Sam Allardyce football. You know, we can't forget that. It's going from one polar opposite in football style to another one. Going from a possession-based... Well, sorry, going from a defensive... Backs against the wall, we're going to play long to a possession based style is one of these things that it's going to take a little bit longer than a pre season to get that style on the play. And, and with Huddersfield, they press high, they nick the ball high up the pitch. Someone with, um, you know, Moy in midfield, I think he's, you know, a brilliant signing. He looks very energetic. And I sort of question why Pep Guardiola let him go because he could have been a good squad player at Manchester City this season. Yeah. And it's, it seems like a, a bit of a weird one for him. In terms of Watford, I can't agree more with George. Watford are going to be the guys that are going to surprise everyone, I think. You know, what Marco Silva's done in his short career as a manager has been pretty decent and I think he'll continue that in the Premier League. Liverpool have the same problems, attack them down the fullbacks; They've got no answer to that. Defenders pull out wide, you've got massive space to exploit and that's exactly what Watford did. That midfield is, is you know, there was no impact for me from the likes of Wijnaldum, for Emre uh, Chan and of course um, Jordan Henderson holding. They just didn't get involved in the game. They didn't make a, a forceful impact. The only time that they did was probably when Chan you know, went up front, let's say, and played next to Firmino and, and laid it off to Mane to score. But apart from that, there was no impact in terms of someone controlling the game. Nobody stepped up. And I think we, we saw that again against Hoffenheim in the Champions League. If that, nothing happens and they just keep sailing through games and they wait for the likes of Firmino, Mane and Sala to to create stuff, they're going to really struggle. And I think that's going to be a big problem. Losing Coutinho is huge.
0: And how about Brighton? Obviously, they had a bit of a rough opening, opening day in the Premier League, losing 2-0 at home to City. But... I mean that's city I, 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 <laughs> that city team. That city team is outrageous. But what what can we expect from Brighton?
2: I, th- I think the Premier League season starts for them next weekend. Basically, that they just draw a line under that. At one point, it would have been a huge, huge bonus. Um, Chris Eaton's team are always gonna they're gonna be decent. They're not gonna kind of like lay down and die, and um, they'll, they'll be good on the break. They'll be comfortable in possession. They've got decent players um, kind of across the park, really. Um, so I'd, I wouldn't be too concerned for them so far. And losing two 0 to this Man City team in a couple of weeks could look like quite a good result. I think.
0: So who's who's the teams you think are really in trouble? Year,
2: um, I mean, despite that opening day result, I'm I, I fear for Burnley, um, yeah. and then they've got John Walters though
1: they do have Johnny Walters. Yeah. they lost Andre Grey, didn't they? I think that's the big one, yeah,
2: yeah. And then, I mean, you're not gonna like it, but I, I, I need to see a lot from West Ham, um, in the next few weeks.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, surely look, we're not getting relegated. I, I,
2: I. I... I have no confidence in southern Village at all um, currently as a manager and I don't know how long he's going to last and then if he does get sacked I have no confidence in the owners in replacing him with anyone particularly shrewd.
0: Probably get Harry Redknapp in <laughs> Birmingham or something. Wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a bad call. That, <laughs> Do a it. job. <laughs> he's not a wheeler dealer. Get Neil Warnock He's the one. Warnock Warnock oh my god no he hates us because of uh, Sheffield United Uh, the Kevin McCabe imagine that (laughs) go full circle turns out he is a lying hypocrite (laughs) who would have thought it in the Premier League all that money Uh, well next number so I've got a piece of paper here guys I'm going to pull back the curtain on this I have a piece of paper with these numbers on I didn't just remember them when I came in and I've scribbled 44 out replaced it with 27 now I've got 44 again and that is the number of goals Liverpool have conceded from set pieces since August 2014, the most in the Premier League. Jurgen Klopp, sort it out, right? I think it is, yeah. I think it's, it's sort it out. I think it comes from
1: Jurgen Klopp. I think it comes from the players not wanting to be aggressive enough. I don't think it's anything to do with the players, you know, not being positioned in the right places. It's They've got to be aggressive. You play zonal and the ball comes into your area, you have to win it. And that's the thing we saw um, you know, Wijnaldum with that terrible f- uh, header for the third goal. You've just got to get that out. It's basic defending. I don't think... I think the problem that with zona marking that it gets, it gets this bad knock because in England we don't do it well at all. You, you play the same thing for, let's say, Juve or for another Italian or Spanish team and it works perfectly. But it's that aggression that you need. If, you, you know, the ball comes into your zone, like Firmino, you know, I think it was the first goal, the ball comes into your zone, you've got to win it. That's how it goes down to it. it goes down to responsibility of a breakdown of an area, of the penalty area that you've got to own. And if you don't have that mentality that I'm going to go in there and win every single ball, you're not going to, you know, you're going to struggle and you should go back to a man-orientated system with maybe a guy on one of the posts or, you know, zonal and man is what I'd probably prefer. But again, I don't think it's wrong with the system. It's the players aren't doing what they should be doing.
2: Now, I also think it's a a huge shortcoming of the fact they don't really play the striker. We've seen many, many times in the Premier League and and across Europe how, how, you know, strikers, target men are, are... they're born to be aggressive in the box, to get their head on the ball. We've seen the likes of Jogburn, and Costa particularly been hugely, hugely helpful to their, to their team defensively for set pieces. And the fact that Liverpool rarely set up with a striker when they do, it's, it's Sturridge or Origi, neither of whom are really that, you know, that kind of strong, aggressive striker that you're looking for. That's, that's a huge, you know, they're lacking in that area. And if you look at their fullbacks as well, whether it's Klein, whether it's Milner, whether it's Moreno, these aren't guys who are going to win the ball in the air. Mm. So when you're setting up for a set piece, you've basically got Matip, Lovren and possibly Chan. You've got three guys. Who who are going to be in any way dominant in the end? Wijnaldum won't do it. Henderson won't do it. They don't have the personnel. So mm-hmm. for that reason, it's not surprising they're being beaten consistently. If I was a, you know, a six foot four striker, you know, if I, <laughs> if I was an Okaka basically who who scored the first goal on, on the weekend against them, you'd be fancying your chances every time the ball gets in the box.
0: Other than a quality song, what does uh, Wijnaldum bring to that team? Old Wijnaldum goals
1: at home. That's it, right? Bit of energy.
2: Bit of energy. Uh, is you, that you can it? run? Well, I don't think Henderson or Chan are particularly good athletes, and he is. Yeah, um, and he's tidy on the ball, but he's—I mean—he's someone who, he's, he's someone who'd be useful if, if they were firing. He'd be useful to having the team to knit it all together. He's not going to drag them out of any of any hole.
0: And you were saying they've not got the uh, the big number nine up front. I saw Firmino's has changed his number to number nine. <laughs> if you're a Liverpool fan and you're seeing that, are you slightly concerned that transfer windows still open, but you've changed your kind of what was originally a sort of winger, <laughs> sort of attacking midfielder into a striker, and he's now your big number nine? You don't have anyone up there for Plan B.
1: I think, I think the thing that with Firmino is that he played very, very well against Watford. And if everyone put in a performance like All Firmino right, did, me off. Cheers. Um <laughs> then they would have won the game. I think what he brings as a nine, it's not a nine, it's a false nine. So maybe he should have an F over the nine on his shirt. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. But he worked really well. He worked the channels well. He came deep to the ball at the right time. Um, the pass or, or chip or lob to Mo Salah for him to tuck it away was wonderful. A brilliant run and a great goal. And I think that's what Firmino could bring Liverpool. It's goals, assists, everything. And I like him as a striker. I think he's, he's a very good striker. How and about it fits. as a person? As a person? I'm not sure. I've never met the fella, so I don't know. Um, I'm not too sure about whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. See, he's pals with Coutinho. He he's wants got good to guy's leave. teeth. He's got good guy. Hey, that is true. You never,
0: see a, you never see a villain with perfect teeth like uh, are Effectively blue. Maybe he's a, the first one then. Don't say that. It
2: won't go down well. It's like Cumin and his red Christmas lights. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Next number, George I know you love the number 300 and I know you love it, particularly because after scoring for Everton on his Premier League debut second time, uh, Wayne Rooney has now been involved in 300 Premier League goals. Only Alan Shearer has got more. Do you think this is like a second start for Wayne? Obviously it is, but do you think it's a start of him finding form again, getting back into the England team and having a couple of years, (laughs) maybe that he should have had a couple of years ago?
2: I I don't... (laughs) I don't think he'll get back into the England team. or well, I mean, at least I, I kind of hope he doesn't. Um, I think this is this is the swan song of his career. I think that he'll be a useful player for Everton to have. We saw in his goal on 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 Saturday his, the quality he still has. That was an absolutely unbelievable header. Um, he timed his jump to perfection, and you know the strength to get the back across goal was was really sublime. Um, and in a game that was kind of a pretty dire game, really against Stoke, that was the moment of quality that won it. Um, whether or not suddenly one good performance for Everton in his debut is going to change his career I'm, I'm not convinced um, we still have to remember that that having a poor first touch and not really being having the pace to keep up with play is still going to be an issue at Everton but um, fingers crossed that moments of quality like this will get Everton the points that they, they need to ensure they finish 6th uh, or 7th just a couple of places <laughs> below West Ham yeah obviously. exactly yeah
0: <laughs> Ray, okay, what do you reckon? Are you, are you going to want to sign him back in January? Absolutely not. No, I think Did Wayne put Rooney, a buyback clause in.
1: I, I hope not. I hope there was there was nothing. No talk of that. I think Man United's forward line looks very very fresh at the moment compared to you know with with Wayne Rooney and Zlatan last season. Not you know Zlatan was good, but Wayne Rooney was terrible. Um, but I think it was a good performance from Wayne Rooney. You know he moved the ball well, um, got into the area at the right time, could have scored again if um, I think one of the Everton forwards who's played through in the second half had squared it. So it was a good performance and it was a good return to Goodison Park. But I can't. Can't see it being anything more than, a, than an okay season for Rooney to to perform at a level, um, a level that he's at now, which which will be fine. And it will get Everton the seventh position, which they've paid all that money to get, you know, yeah. sit
0: in seventh. It's going to be wonderful. Nailed down. I, I can't wait for his end of season review to say, Wayne Rooney really, performed at A level. <laughs> Just...
1: An okay level. In,
0: in, insert level in stars. Rooney is a B student. <laughs> George, what was your favourite number out of those numbers? Um, my favourite number, I'd have to say, is probably Ronaldo's 24 minutes. Oh, Ronaldo! What a what a what a half naked man he was! <laughs> what a what a bully! Yeah, what an absolute Just shoving bully. that referee in the locker. Yeah, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've learned about my numbers this week. Now it's time for me to learn about something else. Next section we're going to for this esteem podcast is the I'm embarrassed to ask section. I'm embarrassed to ask. Basically, I don't know what I'm talking about and i need you guys to clear something up for me. I thought
2: that was a whole podcast.
0: Well, (laughs) pretty much my whole life, to be honest. (laughs) Because I am humiliated. Uh Having watched football for 25 years, I have no idea what the balls is (laughs) XG expected goals. (laughs) I I honestly, I haven't got... A clue. Well, I mean, I, I can guess that it's about goals we're expecting. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good start. For me, it's zero most weekends, right? Last time fan. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, when, when do you come across the term XG? It's in it, day-to-day life. It's
2: been a huge, huge thing uh, developing in analytics over the oh, last couple of years in football. <laughs> um, and it was actually being used in match of the day this season. So for the first time ever, last Saturday, um, one of the stats they use alongside stuff like possession was actually the expected goals and it's used to uh, kind of analyse the chances that a team has in a game and total up how many goals they would be expected to score from those chances based on a range of factors depending on where the shot's taking place with what body part uh, the angle of the goal they've got how many defenders are between them and the goal where the goalkeeper is and they got a database I mean the guys who who, who work out the expected goals model have a database of, of loads and loads and loads of chances meaning they can actually work out the chances of scoring so say a um, ball comes into the box and, and Andy Carroll's got a header six yards out, that's going to have a very, very... It's going to have, have, <laughs> have, have a very high expected goals likelihood of you know, 0.7 uh, chance of scoring, 0.6 chance of scoring, something like that. Whereas when Ross Barkley has a shot from 45 yards near the corner flag and it just goes over the bar and everyone goes, ooh, it's probably got like a 0.05% chance of actually going in. So those tallied together can actually work out the chance, how many goals the team are expected to score whether or not they're overperforming or underperforming and what they've done. The benefit of that is you can look at a game and you can see that actually whether or not the scoreline reflects the likelihood of, of, of what's actually happened in that game. So, for example, if you know if uh, Liverpool, Watford, say Liverpool's expected goals had to- totaled up to four point five and Watford's one point five, then you'd know that Watford have been uh, lucky to get the, to get the point. I'm not saying that is what happened because I haven't actually seen them. To go a bit further, you've also got expected assists. So that is... The
0: right, qu- is that XA? That's
2: XA. Oh, that's so, easy. So that is the quality of chance that people are laying on. So, if, again, someone like Pyatt, um, who you know oh, well, the, the amount of chances he was creating last season before he left was was basically the same as the chance he was creating the season before. But that doesn't actually look at the quality of the chance he's creating. Whereas actually... They're the all quality, done with the attitude. Chances, they're well, all the,
0: done with resentment.
1: Is that coming into yeah, the
2: stats? Yeah, no, well, they, can't, they can't measure it. I mean, they haven't <laughs> got a database for that. But uh, so that if the quality of chances people are creating is actually worse and that chance to create a metric is suddenly pretty pointless. If you're creating 10 chances in a game, but all of them are two-yard passes left to Barkley to wallop over the bar, then actually you're not doing, really doing a great job. If you're putting in amazing balls like Eriksen for Dele Alli to on the end of from six yards out, then that's important. So it's an important metric to just understand how teams are performing. And over time, if you're constantly overperforming your XG, chances are you're going to end up regressing. <laughs>
0: Over, over a period of time <laughs> Overperforming your XG Dave this sounds like To be honest A load of bollocks to me <laughs> Surely it's not Someone's job To be like oh, That's a that's a likely chance Or <laughs> less likely but Surely If it's a If it's a goal It's a goal right So Expected goals Must If you're counting All these things Someone like Leicester Yeah Like a couple of seasons ago They basically Won the league By having four chances A game And How, how what was the there? quality
2: Of those chances though I don't know yeah, but exactly- <laughs> don't, don't put me on the spot You're the experts
0: here
1: I think the big thing That you look at Expected goals Is it does You know In simplistic terms It quantifies You know If you have a shot In the penalty area A uh, hundred times And your expected goals On that would be Let's say Point six Sixty out of the hundred shots Would go in, in Based on the historic data And I think that's The big thing that is and isn't taken into consideration in the analytic community. Yes, you use big data, but unfortunately the Premier League is thirty eight games long, which actually is quite a small sample size. So to apply a metric that's based on millions and millions of data points in shots to a Premier League season, it's quite difficult. You know, you'd probably want to go down the line of using Bayesian theory to actually properly build an expected what? goals model. <laughs> Bayesian theory. Bayesian theory is like basing um your it's building a, a model that you can predict the future in Trading a way. A stat based on having like a, a mean or a, or a variance of a, of a certain nature, this is probably far too complicated. So it's basically, you're predicting the future by um, an average of one of the players, let's say. So a player's goal scoring is going to score 10 goals in a season on average. You're basing that to apply to that, and then obviously you're predicting the future. The expected goals thing, I think it's an excellent model. I think it's good to quantify teams that overperform, for example, Nice under Lucien Favre. Lucien Favre for his entire career, be it at Brussia, much and glad back on Nice has always outperformed his expected goals. But if you watch Lucien Favre, you know that his teams are excellent on the ball, they're really good footballing sides. So expected goals is just another metric, another one that will give you something and and tell you something about it. But for me, it's there's things before, you you, you could say this expected goals model is, is perfect. There's things that aren't being quantified. For example, that seasonal nature of football. I think the other things you're not getting, you're not getting where. Um, you know, where your opponent is, whether there's a block in front of you, whether there's a block in goal. That doesn't matter too much in terms of the grand over scale, but to quantify that shot better, to actually know that's got an XG of 0.7, you need to know what's around you. You need to know what sight of goal the, the player has. You know, I think... Um, some models do take, I some, some models do take and, that, and that into that consideration. And that's is the issue, is
2: that models, you know, lots of people have XG models and they vary, which isn't ideal, obviously, because some people will say that there's... Know, one point five for a team in, in a game, and others will say one point seven, which
0: <laughs> isn't isn't ideal. Is it still fun watching football when you take it XG? It. Into... How?
2: Because cause you it understand takes away the you, surprise you, isn't it. Because well, yeah, you, you, you understand a team's performance, and then another thing to uh, it's like a spoiler alert to look at is, is, is it shows it's used massively in recruitment, and you can see when teams don't really know what they're doing when they go and buy some bloke who's just blown hot for ten games, scored nine goals, and his XG's actually actually about point two point five because chances are he's not going to keep
0: doing it. But that's what purple patches are. <laughs> I feel like it's taken the fun out of goal scoring. No, goals are still there. I think the
1: the big thing is expected goals are, are a metric, and yeah. goals are a you know a, a, a fact tangible a way. thing. Yeah, goals win games. You don't classic.
2: Win, you don't win points for XG, but it's good to have a
1: higher one. <laughs> you, just win, you just win kudos. Yeah, <laughs> well, kudos from the community.
0: <laughs> I mean, I sort I sort of know what XG is. It's it's what it says it is, but it's ludicrously complicated to get there XA is even worse It's, I, mean, it's
2: you, you, I think you'll find it more and more useful as it comes more into kind of general coverage I
0: think <laughs> as it comes into the mainstream like am basically, I going to find it useful in my way, day
2: to day way 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 more um, uh, enlightening as to what's happening in the game than shots taken or possession
1: but then again if you quantify where that shot's been taken you can see you can have a good, for example, that, if Rob's watching the game and his team, West Ham, have taken I do. five shots from outside the penalty area, oh, your XG is going to be low, right? Yeah, of course. If they have, in the sec- that's first half, let's say, in the second half, if they have five shots within the area, the XG is going to be high. So that's, to look at it in simplistic terms, it's just, you know, the quality of a shot in a penalty area, you're more likely to score. Outside the penalty area, less likely to score. And that's what XG is as a metric. It just tells you where your shots are, how likely are the well, Based on history, how many times did the ball go into the back of the net from that position?
0: Dave, you've used an example that requires West Ham to have five shots. As far really? as I'm concerned, you're talking nonsense. <laughs> you're talking nonsense. So that's a term that I don't know. Now I'm going to get you both to tell me about a player. I don't know. <laughs> Could there even be such a thing? Who's this fella? How many times a day do you think you ask yourself that? <laughs> how many times a day do you think you just like walk down the road and you're like, who's this fella? Who's that? Yeah, like pretty much generally yeah. in day-to-day life
2: do not if I actually asked myself that question. I think I just think, myself, I don't know who he is.
0: Do you think in in sentences, or do you think you thinking is just kind of done? You just come to the conclusion Your thinking before? is just done. Thinking
2: is Mine, do, mine's do just think, done.
0: <laughs> do you think your thinking is done What is just don't think anymore? No, but like, do you think you just come up with, with your conclusion? It's... This is this is for the defending uh, <laughs> the defending philosophy podcast. I,
2: I think this is next week. I'm embarrassed, to, I'm, embarrassed to can. Just, I'm embarrassed to
0: ask. I'm embarrassed to ask because
2: you're thinking done. Is what, <laughs>
0: Rob Armstrong is my thinking done. You can see it in I mean, A-level more. textbooks for years. Uh, so who is this fella, right? <laughs> is is Jean-Michel Series thinking just done? Gene. Gene. <laughs> uh, D, Jean. Jean. Billy Jean. All right, John. John Michael Serai plays for plays for Nice apparently mm. this is the guy that uh, Liverpool are looking at because Naby Keita won't come right or Keita mm. yeah what, what's his deal is
1: his thinking just done decent nah no, he's done he's done on the ball he knows what he's doing on the ball for sure um, he's completed more passes than a Nice player um, last season in Liga he's really important to Lucien Favre's style of football Favre likes to play short passing out of the back and he's a guy that's sort of running it in midfield he's technically very gifted seems to be able to uh, you know, spot an opportunity and go and take that. He's one of those central midfielders that, that would be comfortable playing left wing, right wing, attacking midfield, but also central midfield. It's such quality and, and defensive midfield. I think he's, similar to Naby Keita, how he's quite an all-round midfielder. He can do it all. Why Liverpool want him so much is because he can attack, he can defend, can do pretty much everything on a football pitch. Sarri's quite similar to that in a way where he's an all-round complete midfielder. And I think that's why the likes of Barcelona, that's why the likes of Liverpool are looking at him because he's just so hot at every part of his game and we're sort of seeing that that the evolution of football in a way is to become a player that can play anywhere, anytime you know think about the sort of Dutch team from um, 74 in the World Cup where it was all fluid James Collins as well James Collins as well yeah. would be perfect in terms of a centre half that come out into defensive midfield and, and boss the show with the ball at his feet <laughs> but I think it's one of these things where football is evolving for players that are So dynamic and so good at everything that they could play in multiple positions and then switch positions. I think that's potentially where it could go. You know, imagine a fullback switching with a defensive midfielder. That's where I kind of see it. I can't imagine. That's what's going to happen next. This just makes no (laughs) sense to me. Yeah, I mean,
2: unlike Kaite, the one thing that, the reason I think Kaite was such an exciting prospect for Liverpool fans was just his transition from defence into attack. He could get the ball and basically just drive from deep. And Seri's much more of a kind of a, a passer, I'd say. loser. More of a, a creative player. And you wonder if, you know, he wouldn't necessarily add that extra dimension to Liverpool that Kite would have done. He'd definitely be, you know, an upgrade on what they've already got. Um, you know, seven goals last season in the league, uh, nine assists, 73 chances created. That just shows that he's a bloke who, on the ball, when his foot's on it, he can, he can do stuff with it. Um my one other concern is that he's he's basically, so far, you know, he's in his mid-20s, he's had one one decent season under Lucien Favre um, when he came into Nice. And you've got to wonder whether or not he is a player who's got a system set up to suit him at the moment. He's got a manager who's getting the best out of him and whether or not he would, once moving on, if he'd regain that form, if he'd go back to the player he was before. Um, but having said that, he does look like one of the kind of available, um, if he is available, one of the most av- available players best options that clubs have got in centre midfield he is versatile as Dave said so it makes sense and he's yeah he's, he looks he looks class
0: he, you're saying about fullback and midfield and then you're, you're expressing concerns he sounds like an exotic James Milner to me in fact he, he's even got like a bit of a a boring name if you take away the Seri bit like in France is his name just John Michael <laughs> John Michael Seri Jean, Jean-Michel <laughs> it could be French James Milner. Is that what he is? Is he is he James Milner with a big price tag and in his mid twenties?
1: No, I think he's um, better on the ball than James Milner. James Milner's a decent player, but um, if you you know if Liverpool were to to acquire the, the Ivorian international, they'd be getting a great player, and that's why Barca are, are, you know sniffing around as well because he has oh, he's, that. Talent. He's
0: Ivorian, not French. How embarrassing!
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think yeah, it's it's one of these things where Liverpool have got to look at their midfield. What we spoke about earlier on. It's very similar. Can is the same player to Wijnaldum, who's the same player to Jordan Henderson. They get that mix in there. Um, you know, They've got a playmaker in there that can actually control the tempo of a game, and that's what they've been lacking. So it makes massive sense, and at €40 million, Euros, which is his release clause, would be good business. But the problem is, Liverpool are going to be losing Coutinho to Barcelona and could be losing out with the Sari transfer to again Barcelona who are in massive transition at the moment
2: the Barcelona need him mean, they've got Paulinho you know So we uh, have got
1: Paolo, <laughs> the Paulinho one's an interesting one I've, I've seen him he's been absolutely slammed Paulinho's been awesome yeah. over the last calendar year been really good like playing at a really good level yeah Tottenham he wasn't great at all but playing then at really
0: wait playing at a really good level he's playing in China isn't he but also at a th- level
1: if you, you think about the Brazilian national team scoring hat-tricks from uh, central midfield yeah he's, that's like
0: scoring a three-pointer for the Harlem Globetrotters isn't it <laughs>
1: <laughs> it could be, I you know I just don't think you can overlook good form in the Chinese Super League and good form for a national team to 40 million pound in this market 40 million euros in this market isn't much. So to get someone like Sarri's quality it's good, but to get Paulinho as well it's not
2: a bad deal. It's also amusing to see the British public thinking that they can judge uh, Paulinho signing based on two seasons at Spurs better than the Mel- Madrid, sorry better than the Barcelona recruitment team.
0: Yeah, um, interesting.
2: <laughs> because I think that they probably have a have a fair idea of what of what they're getting themselves in for.
0: But that being said, Neymar to Paulinho and Neymar, John Neymar to Coutinho. You
2: know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Coutinho. What is he? Going, is he going to end up going for like hundred million quid, hundred and ten million quid? Mm,
1: he's like not it, even yeah.
0: Liverpool's best player. Like he's not as good Who as Sané. Is? is he? Sané, Mane, Mane. I'd say.
2: Um, I think he is. Yeah, I think Mane is a better goal scorer. Um, but I think in terms of of a player who'd suit Barcelona more. In terms of potential, to to and their kind of their ceiling, I say Coutinho's basically got it all. Although Mane
1: would be a perfect replacement to Neymar. Likes to play wide on the left, That's can dribble, it. can to, take I, people I, on. I think he'd be too direct, wouldn't he? I, I don't think he'd be new Barcelona under Valderrida. It's a, it's a new new life, new pressing football, new aggressive. Lionel you know, Messi potentially as a number ten. They could do with a left winger. Maybe they just get Coutinho and Marne
0: two hundred million euros. <laughs> the John Michael Paul Enio. Yeah. And. I can't think of how to do uh, Coutinho. <laughs> <laughs> of Phil, is that, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big exactly. Phil. John John, Michael, Phil and Paul. Yeah. Is that the, the future of the Barcelona midfield? It's hardly Javi, Iniesta and Busquets.
1: I don't think Busquets is going to get moved out there. I think Rakitic, the, I don't think he's fallen out of favour a little bit. His performance levels haven't been as high as they were when Barcelona went to go and lift the treble a few seasons ago. And in terms of Andres Iniesta, he's still one of the best central midfielders in world football in terms of controlling games. He's just a little bit crocked at the moment. His knees are starting to wear out, which is a problem for a central midfielder when you want to. You want your playmaker to play every single game. And I think that's why Barca are looking at the likes of and looking at Coutinho as, as guys that could come in and replace um, the great
0: Andres Iniesta. So you're giving me a lot of opinions, guys, but we're not here for opinion. I don't want to see you get along in amiable conversation. I want to see you get to the facts, the objective numbers, It's time for a stats showdown. Defending in numbers. Picture the scene. It's like the end of Good, the Bad and the Ugly. Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood have stood eyeing each other up in a graveyard. You think you're lucky, punk? (laughs) Ennio Morricone or maybe Morricone or however it's pronounced, is playing in the background. I'm Eli Wallach. I'm I'm having nothing to do with this, basically. I'm just going to run away with whoever the winner is. (laughs) You two are Lee Van Cleef. And Clint Eastwood. One of you is good, one of you is bad. And we're going to use stats and <laughs> vague, vague analogies <laughs> to try and decide who, who the king of stats is, I guess. Who's taking home the unnamed uh, unnamed grave? If you haven't seen Good, the Bad and the Ugly, uh, <laughs> I strongly suggest it. Otherwise, you're never going to understand football, are you? <laughs> or expected you. Right, who's going to go first? So I'm, going to, I'm going to take a look into your eyes and see who's the most honest. George, you're far more honest. George, you're going, you're going with the opening stat this week. Round one of the stats showdown.
2: Yeah, so my stats have all come from the opening weekend of the Premier League. Uh, topical, obviously. Um, first one, Southampton had 29 shots against Swansea, but couldn't find the back of the net. Now Leicester, Huddersfield and Watford combined had 25 shots, so four less, and scored nine goals.
0: I'm blown away.
2: And, just, uh, and uh, just 11% of Saints' 29 shots were on target is also
0: poor holy just a, yes. that's
2: just a substat for you is this I've one star, s- or two stats s- sub- substat I'm, I'm ignoring
0: that substat it's <laughs> against the rules you can't bring three guns <laughs> to a gunfight Dave come back you've got to you've got to blow me away so Romelu Luzkaku has
1: scored more goals in the Premier League Cristiano Ronaldo Fernando Torres Luis Suarez and the great Eric Cantona I
2: was waiting for a combine there just to, just to make it a good stat but it didn't come some Manchester United <laughs> legends
0: in there <laughs> 24 I'd say Dave you've surprised me more you go one nil up now you have the opportunity to, to clinch it in the second round because it's your go blow me away with a stat finish him Nemanja
2: don't, Matic don't do that. oh no I it's going to be Matic Ooh, oh going to
1: be a Matic off so Nemanja Matic uh, this weekend of course played partner to Paul Pogba and leashing the Pog but Matic was actually controlling the tempo, had more touches than any other player, completed more passes, but more importantly, covered the most distance. For something for Manchester United, a team that covered the fewest, dis- fewest kilometres per game in the Premier League last season,
0: that is a massive signing. Reckon he played a lot of Pogs when he was young. Yes. Remember Tazos? Yeah, they were decent. Yeah. Was that like the English Pogs? Because I've heard of Pogs, but I don't think I ever actually saw one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, George. So my Matic stat. Um, so a lot of talk about, about the
2: liberated Manu. last year. They looked very constrained mm-hmm. last season. This time they were they played with a flourish, and Nemanja Matić against West Ham completed seven out of seven completed take-ons compared to last season in the duration where he only completed thirty-one. So he's nearly a quarter of the way there after one game.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, you've both gone for stats against West Ham. So <laughs> if I was Eli Wallach, no, uh, <laughs> Dave, no, I'm not impressed. Okay, I am impressed by the seven take-ons. Yeah. So he's only got what, four more games until he tops last season. Yeah, if he
2: carries on like that, yeah.
0: Fair play, Matic. Round two. Electrifying. So now we have the showdown, the final shot. This is the this is the duel at dawn, which doesn't happen which doesn't happen in the good, the bad and the ugly.
2: So for my obviously the one going in the to for my big final stat was the uh, West Brom Bournemouth game, the one that everyone was looking forward to. Yeah, that was the um,
0: the Highlight fixture
2: Andrew Sermon with 90 and Harry Arter Great. with 92 uh, completed passes in that game, totaling combined the two centre fielders 182, 30 more than the whole West Brom team put together with 152, and they still lost 1 0.
0: My god, possession doesn't mean nothing anymore. Wait, what, nothing what was the XG though? The XG <laughs> meaningless, <laughs> bunch of <laughs> lunatics sat in a room, probably Dave. Stat me. I know that I've already lost
1: just because this is another stat against the mighty Irons. Thanks. Anthony Martial has scored or assisted a goal every six and a half minutes in the Premier League this season. The best record. If he continues this rate, he'll be directly involved in over 500 Premier League goals. Christ.
0: (laughs) But Dave, what you're telling me there really is that he came on as a sub and scored. (laughs) And assisted. (laughs) And assisted. Yeah. In 12 minutes. In 12 12 minutes. minutes. Uh, 13 minutes. Yeah, but didn't Murata do? like... He did that in 20 minutes or something. Yeah, but it wasn't... And, and got this disallowed goal as well. Yeah. And yeah. that was against the mighty Burnley. Martial did it against West Ham. <laughs> Nine men. They, yeah. Goals only count half against West Ham. <laughs> okay. You're, hang your head in shame. <laughs> you've just been shot by Lee Van Cleef. The good lost. Get in. <laughs> George, you've won that stat showdown. Cheers, mate. And with that stat showdown, and George walking around the very small room victorious. Stripping off like Cristiano Ronaldo while he's doing that, Dave, I'm going to ask you, where can people find you if they want to talk to you?
1: Um, On the internet. And listen to you. On YouTube, on on Twitter, just search stat
0: man Dave. Simple. He's a man who does stats and his name is Dave. And George, now you've got your top back on, where can people find you?
2: Yeah, just on Twitter, at George Ellick. If you want to tell me I'm wrong about anything. Spell it.
0: Spell it. George, E-L-E-K it's exactly how you think, the best thing is, it's exactly You've how you it think right. it's going to be spelled. Well, you say that. And but then like, you pronounce it and it's exactly how you think you're going to say it. The amount of people get it wrong, you wouldn't believe. Mm. X, E, expected errors of George's name. <laughs> <laughs> equally, equally, irrelevant. And you can follow me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. or will go to the Football Republic on YouTube and every now and again I talk on there as well. But that's all for Defending in Numbers this week. But there's always a next week, Dave. Even for West Ham, there is always a next week. And we'll see you then. Defending
1: in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Deezer
0: Deezer. Originals.